Happy Fourth of July weekend, everybody. How's it going for you all so far? Yeah, and uh, welcome to all of you who are joining us online, which I assume there are a lot of you since you're not here in the room today. But we do welcome all of you. We know we have people here in Darden Prairie, but we also know that we have several of you at the beach, at Branson, at the lake, uh, Ohio, North Carolina, or Oklahoma. Just we have so many people who join us online every week, and we appreciate you too. And we hope that uh, wherever we are, that we're all opening our heart to the Lord and being thankful to him. And as somebody has said, Fourth of July, it's just a great holiday in the United States. It's, it's the thing that brings us together. It's freedom. It's independence. It's our shared love of blowing stuff up, right? <laughs> How many of you have in your neighborhood, like mine, your subdivision's fireworks rival any towns? Like, we don't have to go to see a big fireworks show. They're just blowing stuff up like crazy. And anybody else like that? It keeps you up till 2 in the morning, right? Yeah, which I, it's one of the things I love about America is that we do have this freedom. It's not like that everywhere. Let's just be thankful of all the places in the world we could have been born and all of the times in history we live here where liberty and freedom is a thing. It's not like that everywhere in the world, and we know that. I went to school in college with a guy who came from another country to go to school, and he came from, I guess I'll just say it nicely, a, a much more restrictive culture and country than ours. And so anytime we'd say, hey, what, you guys want to do this? He'd say, free country, do whatever you want. And he was kind of joking, but he's also just reminding us not every place in the world is like this. Not everybody has the freedoms that we enjoy. And I'm very thankful for this. Uh, it's not like that everywhere. It's not like this where you can say, as far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, there's nothing in United States law that contradicts what Jesus expects of you as a Christian. In other words, there's nothing that is illegal that Jesus expects of you. You're free to do whatever he wants. And again, that's not true everywhere in the world. There are places right now where you would be doing something illegal to do some of the things that Jesus commanded you to do. There are some things also, likewise, that the country maybe expects people to do that Jesus would say, I don't want you to do that. But we have so much freedom here. In fact, we maybe have the, the opposite problem in the United States. Maybe the opposite issue for us is... There are things that are legal in the United States, but Jesus will look at that and go, I don't think you should do that. That's not acceptable. Maybe I would say it this way. As a follower of Jesus, you are held to a higher standard than simply what's legal. You know, maybe in the United States, the motto is, hey, if you want to do it and it's not going to hurt anybody and you're not going to get sued, go ahead. But then as a Christian, you are always held to a higher standard because Jesus' expectations are so much greater and so much higher. So how do you make your choices then if you are a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook today. But you may still want to do what we're going to learn about here because it's just a wise way to live because Jesus does teach us how to be truly good people who have a truly good life. But then you ask the question, and I ask the question, if it's simply not a matter of, okay, if it's legal, it's acceptable, then how do I figure out what Jesus wants me to do? And let me just make this a little bit more complicated for all of us. How is it possible that there are two people who both love Jesus sincerely, have both studied the same Bible, and yet one of them says, I think this is okay, and the other Christian who seems as equally mature and knowledgeable says, I don't think this is okay. How do we get to that point where we figure out what does Jesus really want from me? What does it look like to live a good life? Today, I want to give you five filters or questions that you can ask yourself. And if you want to just jot these down, you might find these to be helpful. Uh, one of them stands on its own. The other four, you just kind of hold in tension with each other. And these I found just in my own life to be very helpful to figure out what is the best way to live, what's the wisest way to live. And what we're going to do is today I'm just going to lay out the framework of here's the method that it would be helpful. And then the next few weeks, we're going to just look at some specific areas that Christians maybe need to think through. 
So the first question I would ask myself if I'm trying to figure out what does it look like to truly use the freedom God gave me well, ask yourself, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? It's a great place to start. So when you just are asking that question, you're saying to yourself, I think this is okay. Maybe even our culture says it's okay. The law says it's okay. But should I do it? Has Jesus spoken on this matter? So you have to dive into the Bible and just look and see what it says. Because there are times when God has just given you a fast pass to the best life. When he just literally tells you what to do and puts something off limits and puts a boundary around it, he's just saving you a whole lot of grief because you're going to try it. You're going to find out that you didn't really like the consequences that came from it. You're going to go, I should have just listened to good reason to begin with. There's a reason why God puts some things off limits. Now, here's the thing. If you're a little bit new to the Bible or unfamiliar with it, um, I'll just say it this way. There are far fewer rules in the Bible than you might think. And the Bible often has a reputation as just being this book full of rules. But first of all, if you take away the Old Testament part of the Bible, which is specifically for the Jewish people and the rules and the regulations were there for the nation of Israel, and you just go to the New Testament, there aren't nearly as many rules as you would think there are. And the ones that are there, most of the time you just go, yeah, that just makes sense. That's just a good way to live. When Jesus says, do this, you just know this is good. This is pleasing. This is perfect. The will of God always is. If Jesus says, don't do it, he's just saving you some time and some heartache. And I love what the Apostle Paul advised Christians in the Roman church. This is in your Bible, actually, if you want to find it. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Paul said to these Christians, he said, hey, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead before you became a believer, but now you have new life. It's eternal life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what's right for the glory of God. So when God says, just don't do it, he's just showing you, there was a way you used to live. It led to death. Why would you want to continue to do the things that just ruined your life before? Come on, there's a new way to live. And at first it may not make sense to you, but just trust me, God says, Ultimately, you're going to thank me because this is the way that you were intended to, to live. And so when you, uh, sometimes you just have this situation where you go, I don't know what I should do. Well, has God spoken? If he has, just say no to that thing. And uh, so sometimes you don't have the ability to just do a Bible study and figure out. So just make up your mind ahead of time what you're going to do in a certain situation. Like if the Bible says, you know, do not kill you, you kind of know when you're in the car and someone cuts you off and you are really angry. You've seen the video, so have I. These things don't end well when people get out of the car and decide to discuss the thing. No, you just make up your mind ahead of time. God has told me, do not let my anger get out of control. Uh, maybe if you're at work and there's somebody who pays attention to you, you're married, but this person really seems to get you and your spouse doesn't get you anymore. And you're thinking, I think maybe I missed the person I was supposed to be with for my life. This is, the, this is actually the one person I was supposed to be with. Well, then you go, wait a second. Uh, I'm supposed to be faithful to the spouse that I committed to. Do not commit adultery. When God says something, you can just take it to the bank. It's immediately the right thing to do. And I love what uh, Jesus says. Look, I came to share truth with you, Jesus said. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will actually set you free. And he says in John 8:34, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. I don't think we got that on the screen. I'm just, it's a free one today. But really, like you can use your liberty and your freedom as an American and just as a person that God gave you to do things that you shouldn't do. But in the end, the irony of that is that you become enslaved by those things you used your free will to, to choose to do. Don't do that. Just uh, as Jesus says in verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. And in Galatians 5.13, the Apostle Paul, again talking to Christians, says this, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. 
Instead, you use your freedom to serve one another in love. You know, sin hurts you. Sin enslaves you. I know that things look appealing. It seems like you're the one exception. You just see things in a way that nobody else does when you're caught up in a temptation. But in the end, you need to see it all the way through. You need to play the movie in your mind before you actually do it in real life and just see where this thing ends up. And God's just trying to spare you from so much. So if Jesus has said something about it, it's easy. Whatever he says, I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to do that. But there are some times where I'm in a situation where I don't know exactly what Jesus would say to it because, you know, if you're newer to the Bible and you're just like Googling things in the Bible and you're Googling something and nothing comes up, what do you do then? I'll give you a specific example here. We're going to talk about this actually next week. Uh, Marijuana usage has become a big thing in the United States. I'm old enough. I won't say how old I am, but I'm old. And when I was a little kid, the answer that we received from our parents, not that we ever dared ask, but the, the teaching was, no, you don't smoke pot. It's against the law. End of discussion. There's no need to have a Bible study about it. There's no need to think deeply about it. It's against the law. That settles it. Just don't do it. Except now it's not, right? What is it, like 46 states it's legal in some way or another, plus the District of, District of Columbia? Um, man, I just I go running through my neighborhoods, and there's either a lot of skunks getting hit by cars or some. <laughs> so, and you can't just say, don't do it as a Christian because it's illegal. The law of the land is it is legal, but is it appropriate or not? Does that mean you have a green light because it's now suddenly legal, pun fully intended? And we, we'll talk about that next week because we really do need to think that through. There, there have to be some other questions, I guess I'm saying, whether or not Jesus talked about it. Because if you just look through the Bible, there is not a marijuana verse. It, the word marijuana is not in there. I looked. It's not. So we've got to have some other things to, to work off of for areas like that, which would be areas that maybe are important to all of us. And we want to live in a life of freedom and responsibility. So So what do we do with that? Well, I want to take you to actually another question that's in the Bible that Christians had because they couldn't find a verse in the Bible to address the thing they were wondering about. And when we go through these verses here in a second in 1 Corinthians, if you want to pull that up, it gives us the other four questions that I want to give you to use as a filter for determining what you do and don't do. So here's the question. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It was a a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in Greece. He knew these people. He loved these people. He'd started this church, baptized a bunch of them. And they they asked him a bunch of questions. So Paul's now writing them back this letter. In verse 1, he says of chapter 8, Now, guys, about your question about food that's been offered to idols. And down in verse 4, he says, What about eating meat that's been offered to idols? Yeah, so they had this question because they were like, we don't know what to do with this situation, which I'll explain a little bit more of in a second. We don't know what to do with this. We can't find a verse in the Bible. So ironically now, it actually is in the Bible because they asked the question. But uh, so Paul is just answering this question for them. And it was a pressing issue for the Christians in Corinth because a lot of them had come up in life not knowing about God. There were a whole bunch of uh, false gods we would call, or I would call false gods, things that we call Greek mythology now, that was just, there were temples all over Corinth that people could worship these gods and animals would be sacrificed to these gods. And then after the animals were sacrificed, the meat would be butchered and sold at the marketplace at a discount to meat that hadn't just come straight off the farm to the marketplace. So I'm looking at what the Christians were facing 2,000 years ago and I understand, and maybe you do too. I I told you before, I like to smoke meat and I've kind of taken my game up a level. And the holy grail of smoking is brisket. If you ever tried to smoke, you know that's a, one of the more difficult things to smoke. It's an expensive cut of meat. Man, with what inflation's done to grocery prices, I look at it now and go like, I can try to practice on a brisket or I can buy a car. 
you know, it's like so expensive. So if I were presented with an option to buy meat that was at a discount, I would be like, yeah, I'm buying the, the cheaper meat. But so that was some of the Christians in the church are like, I don't care if it was offered as a sacrifice to, you know, Apollos or Aphrodite. I don't care. It's cheaper. Other Christians in the church who grew up maybe going to the temple of Aphrodite, and that was how they used to worship before they met the one true God and knew about Jesus. They're like, my conscience is offended by this. How dare we take something that was used in the worship of a false god and eat that? Isn't that in some way saying we think it's okay? Isn't that in some way making us party to what was going on a few hours before when that animal was sacrificed? So some of the Christians were like, we can't do this. Others of the Christians were like, it's a sin to waste money. You should get to me. There's nothing wrong with it. And so they've got this question. They've got this debate in the church. And Paul says, let's just walk through it. And I love what Paul does because he takes actually chapter 8, 9, and 10 and walks through. Since Jesus hasn't explicitly taught about what do you do with meat sacrificed to idols, let's think it through together. And uh, if we're not going to go through all three chapters today. But I would tell you, if you're somebody who likes to take a little bit of a deeper dive, you should read chapter 8, 9, and 10 this week. I think you'll find it fascinating to see how Paul lays out his arguments and how he thinks it through with them. He's just a teaching pastor. And uh, you may even want to go back and catch chapter 6 because he talks a lot about this same kind of an issue there. But as Paul goes through it, I'm just going to go ahead and jump down to the conclusion of the matter at chapter 10. And let's just get Paul's summary. This is 10.23 and through 33. And i got to get on the right page here. There we are. All right, so Paul said this. So you all in the Corinthian church say, I'm allowed to do anything. Or, you know, it's legal, right? Yeah, you're allowed to do anything, but not everything's good for you. And you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So, okay, you may eat any meat that's sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever's offered to you without raising questions of conscience. Okay, but suppose someone tells you, oh, this meat was offered to an idol. Well, then don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. And why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? In other words, why should I do something in front of someone that's just going to offend them when I just, by not doing it, cannot offend them? Verse 30, if I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So, verse 31, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews. Don't give offense to Gentiles. Don't give offense to the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, Paul just really, this is the summary. I told you you need to go back and read chapters 8, 9, and 10 to see all of it. There's a lot of good stuff in here. And I'll show you, and we're going to pull out these four questions, but really quickly, I just want to very quickly touch on something that I see sometimes people do, and this is not what you want to do. You don't want to just find somebody who tells you what you should do. You don't want to find, like, the shell answer man who goes, here's what you need to do. And, and Because, honestly, there are some people in the world who would be more than happy to tell you what to do. And you don't need that. You need to use the brain that God gave you. Should you seek advice? Yes. But do you need somebody who controls your every move and tells you exactly how to think? No. That's not what Paul did. Paul went through a whole lot of thinking about how he got to the point where he got, and he explains it well. Uh, 
So learn to think for yourself. As a kid, I got invited to a church, and I had to go several times, and I, it wasn't like my home church at all. It was a small church that was really big on rules, and the pastor and some of the other people who would speak, man, like within one week, I already knew all the rules of being a Christian, quote-unquote rules, because this guy just liked to tell people what to do. Like, you can't... Um, Oh, you can't drink alcohol or smoke, or you can't even go to the quick stop to buy milk for your kids, even if the grocery store is not open, because somebody might think you're buying alcohol. Uh, you, if you're a woman, you can't wear pants to church. You have to wear a dress. Guys, you do have to wear pants and a tie, and your hair can't touch your ears or your collar. This is church. I'm like, oh, man, I have long hair. Did I pull it in a ponytail? They're like, nope, you need to get it cut. If your hair's too long, there's sin in your heart. Get it cut today. Get right with God. And it was that one of those kind of places. And I think, like, is that really what God intended? Is it you just find somebody who seems like they know all the answers? and just tells you what to do. I think you should use the intelligence God gave you to think some of these things through. And so, uh, you know, in that sense, we are a church that allows people to ask questions and come to different conclusions about things. And let me just give you these questions now that you should ask. Beyond what does Jesus say or what does the Bible say, you need to ask yourself, what does wisdom say? When you think things through like an issue, can I eat meat sacrificed to an idol? This is an issue of logic. And when you say, is this wise, you've elevated. It's not just, is this right or wrong? This is like, is this a good idea for me? At this stage in my life, as a young parent, is this the wise thing for us to be doing? At this stage in my life, considering that I have my whole career ahead of me, I'm thinking about doing this, but is that really the wise thing to do? Maybe at a different time in my life, maybe a different context, considering what I have to do this next weekend, is it wise for me to stay up all night, eat pizza, and drink Mountain Dew? Probably not. There's things where it's not a right or wrong, but it is a wisdom question. And God expects you to use your intelligence to discern, is this wise or not? I was listening to Skip Bayless from Fox Sports talk about an experience from his life. It was really cool to hear him talk about this. He said, growing up, both of his parents were alcoholics, and they decided to deal with it, went to a counselor. So Skip said, as a teenager, I had to go to the counselor. And I remember sitting across the desk from him, the counselor, and he said, look, with both your parents, Skip, being alcoholics, you have a double whammy. You're genetically predisposed to be addicted. You have an addictive personality, so you should not drink alcohol. And Skip's like, nope, I will not, and I do not, and I never have, and I never will. What he didn't tell the counselor was, but I do like gambling. And as a high school kid, he was already gambling on sports, and he knew a lot about sports, so he could do really well. Into college, he was addicted to gambling, full-blown addict. One weekend, he had put bets on five different games. Four of them went awful, and the fifth one was going awful, and he was having this panic attack, thinking about Vito coming to visit him and breaking his kneecaps. That last game finally broke in the very end of it towards the way he had bet. But it scared him so much that he never bet again for the rest of his career. And he admits, like, I have addictive things in other areas, but... You know, that's what wisdom says. Maybe it's okay for someone, somebody can go to Vegas and they can budget a certain amount of money and walk in and blow it all in the slot machines and then they're done. But maybe somebody else, maybe for you, you go, that's not me. I know if I go that I won't stop until I have nothing. And so wisdom says, is this the right thing to do for me in some of these areas where maybe Jesus hasn't literally talked about something? You know, there's another aspect to this. And as just as Paul said, thinking it through, in chapter eight, verse four, he says, well, we all know when he starts to talk about his own position about eating meat to idols, he thought it through. And what Paul's position was on this question of should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Paul just is like, okay, we know that there are no other gods but God himself. If there's anything going on, it's demonic. Nothing genetically happens. He didn't use the word genetic, but nothing genetically happens to the meat just because it's offered in a sacrifice to an idol. God's not offended by that. So Paul said, sure, eat the meat. It's cheaper. If somebody offers it to you, just eat it. Don't even ask them where it came from. Just enjoy it. But if somebody does bring it up, then 
don't eat it because you don't want to offend them. You know, there's a, there's a little bit here going on where sometimes when you're talking to someone, you may be the logical one in the relationship, but in the same situation, maybe you're looking at them like, I'm just seeing things very plainly. It's just, I'm being very factual, and yet they don't seem to get it. There are times when you don't always lead with logic with someone else because logic doesn't always win arguments. I mean, sometimes you just can't be logical. If you have a toddler or a cat, you understand that. It's just sometimes there's no reasoning with somebody because what's really going on there is you're never going to persuade someone because it's not anything up here. It's not a mental objection. It's a fear issue. And so until that fear is addressed for them, the fear maybe that God will be mad at them, fear that they're going against what their family has taught. You know, you can be as logical as you want to be, but they need to know that it's okay. You know, so wisdom is just one of the questions you ask yourself when you're trying to figure out, should I do this, should I not? There's another question that you should be asking, though, and is, what does my conscience say? This is really important, too, because there is something that could be 100% okay with God, but for whatever reason, your conscience thinks it's wrong, And you should never get to a place where you learn to ignore your conscience. I know your conscience isn't the Holy Spirit. Your conscience could be wrong. Your parents may have been overly strict and you have way too sensitive of a conscience. Your parents or culture or something along the way may have taught you the wrong things, so your conscience is triggered by things that are actually okay. But you shouldn't ignore it any more than you should ignore the smoke detector in your house. You go like, that thing always goes off. I'm making toast, it goes off. I'm making cookies, it goes off. Well, what about the time that your house is actually burning and you ignore it because you know, the house really is on fire? And your conscience is that smoke detector that's telling you, hey, I don't know that this is a good idea. Something about this is off. You should listen to that. And Paul said, look, I know that in your church, there are people who have a different conscience about eating meat sacrificed to idols, just in the same way in our church here. There are differences of opinion, maybe because of the way you were brought up. Maybe you do dance, but you feel guilty about it because of the way you're raised or playing cards or going to movies that are rated anything above rated G or drinking alcohol or just pick any subject that people have differing opinions about and different perspectives on. You should pay attention to your conscience and you should pay attention to the conscience of the people around you as well. As Paul was saying, you don't want to intentionally do something in your freedom and in your knowledge that hurts other people. Maybe you know full well that it's okay, but they don't. Why would you do that to them? Why would you hurt someone's experience? Let me give you a very simple example of this, and maybe it's not a simple one for you. Uh, But I remember this time in another church we were in where, so you have to know, if you're not from the Christian church, I'll just give you a little insight into what my growing up church was like. During communion time, like what we just shared here a few moments ago, what would happen is there were trays like we have now, but the trays were actually passed up and down the rows. This was pre-COVID, and we actually didn't mind germs back then. So what would happen is men of our church would come forward and pass the trays, and it was always men. In some churches, it would even be the deacons were the only ones who did it, or maybe the elders were, or whatever it was, it was always men. But then we started asking in this church, why is it always men? Is there a verse about this in the Bible? So we started studying it, and we said, wow, not only does the Bible not say that it has to be men serving communion, the Bible doesn't tell us how to do communion. It just kind of assumes we're going to figure it out. Bread, wine, have a meal together, there you go. Whatever your culture has, you do that. Just remember Jesus. So we're going like, if the Bible doesn't have a rule about it, why do we have a rule about it? 
And then we used logic. We used the test of wisdom. We said, does it make sense that the ladies of our church can go to the store and buy the grape juice and the bread? They can bring it to the church. They can make the trays up. They can set them on the table, but it can only be a man from that point forward who serves it. If we were eating dinner together, we would just pass the trays and pass the the dishes around. So, well, and bottom line is we just came to the conclusion, yeah, men and women can serve communion. To you, you might be like, I can't even believe you guys were thinking about it. But it was a matter of conscience for some people. Not nearly as many as we thought it was, and everybody came to a place where we were trying to be very gentle with everyone. We said, this isn't scriptural, but maybe you have a conscience thing where you were just told growing up that it has to be a man doing it. So I'm just trying to give you an example of we need to be respectful of each other's conscience. We do need to educate our consciences. We do need to go back and study the Bible. But one of the questions for you is, what does my conscience feel when I think about doing X, whatever it is? That's not the only test, but it's one of the tests that you keep in tension. Now, I want to go back to what Paul was talking about again, and I want to give you another question to ask. What do unbelievers say? If you're thinking about doing something, one of the questions you should ask yourself is, if I'm a Christian, what would the unbelievers around me say about what I'm about to do, or I am thinking of doing, or I am doing? Like Paul said, don't give offense to Jews, Gentiles, or the church of God, people outside the church or in the church. He says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, and I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so many may be saved. And I know that you might be thinking, well, wow, Paul, this sounds pretty wishy-washy. It's like whoever I'm with, I act like them because I want everybody to like me. It's not what's going on because Paul really says, look, there's sometimes there's gray areas and you just have to be respectful of people. When Paul was with a Gentile, he would, even though he was Jewish and was brought up very strictly, he said, I'll be like that Gentile. Why? So they'll like me? So they'll think I'm a religious person? No, he says it so that many may be saved. He was willing to set aside some of his own personal preferences so that he could just very frankly say to somebody, I love you more than my own preferences. I don't want anything that I do or don't do get in the way of you learning about Jesus because he's really the most important thing here, not what I eat or what I don't eat or what I go to watch or don't watch or what I drink or what I don't drink. So sometimes when Paul was with other fellow Jewish people, he knew that God had made everything acceptable, but yet with a Jewish person, he would intentionally restrict himself because... He didn't want any of his freedoms to get in the way of them seeing Jesus. And so one of the biggest questions we need to ask ourselves is, in this context, if I choose to do something I'm free to do, will this hurt my ability to share Jesus with someone? Will this get in the way? And this one was really hard for me starting a church because I came into contact with, with a whole different range of people than I normally didn't get to associate with as a pastor. And talking to guys who planted churches out on the East and the West Coast, even more so for them. They're like, man, if I go to a, like a, somebody's backyard thing and you know, none of them have ever been to church before, and if I'm the one guy who doesn't have a beer in my hand, I'm going to look weird. And I'm like, okay. And I had to just really think this through. In your context, are you doing something to help people know Jesus? Because there's other contexts. If you go in and you're carrying a beer, you're going to immediately turn people off. And this is another area where you have to come to a conclusion on your own. And many Christians come to different positions on that. But even having a strong opinion one way or the other about this, you still can modulate your behavior, not so that you are a hypocrite, not so that you're trying to manipulate people into liking you, just so that whatever you're doing doesn't get in the way of the big thing, which is helping them connect to Jesus. And that's the last thing that Paul talks about here. He says, basically, I'd say it this way, what does love say? You hold all these things in tension. What does Jesus say? What does my conscience say? What does wisdom say? What would unbelievers say? What does love say? 
And so when you're thinking about doing something, you have to ask yourself, will this hurt me? Will this hurt my relationship with God? Will this hurt other people that I care about? Because you truly do have freedom in Jesus. You've been set free. You can do whatever you want. But we're guided by a higher law than the law of the United States. We're guided by a higher law than the Jewish law. The, the law of God is love God and love other people. And love isn't some gooey feeling. It's not butterflies in your stomach. Love is saying, what is in your best interest? And I will do what's in your best interest even if it costs me. I will do what's in your best interest even if I have to sacrifice to do it. You think about that. In the context of you as a parent with your children, love says, I will do what's best for you even if it costs me. And even if you don't love me back, I will still do what's in your best interest. It's the kind of love that you have for your spouse, I hope. It's the kind of love that God already has for you. And that's the kind of thing that God wants us to use our freedom. This is how we grow up. This is how we mature. This is how we navigate all these difficult things in life. This is how we actually can become people that God can trust in any situation to do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. When we just say, you know what? It's not always about what I want. It's not always what I can get away with. It's not always just what will not get me in trouble. It's what is the loving thing to do? In this time, in this place, maybe not everywhere, maybe I'm with, you know, just myself and family, whatever, but with, I'm somewhere else, what's the right thing to do here? And, you know, I know this seems like a lot. This gets easier with time. Back when, if you are a driver, do you remember when you first started driving, you were trying to remember the 15 things, like I have to turn the blinker on, I have to stop and count to three before I go again, I have to watch your cars, check my... It's, this may seem like a lot, but as you start to do these things and you let the Holy Spirit guide you and guide your conscience and direct your paths you're going to find that it's just more and more your habit to do the thing that's right, to do the thing that's loving. And so I just want to tell you this. I want you to know that you are truly free in Jesus. And if you're not yet a Christian, you have no idea how much freedom is just one step away from you accepting him and just finding out that everything can be set free in your life. And it's not really about what, what can I get away with. Being a Christian, maybe it starts with, okay, I don't want to go to hell. But it's certainly so much more than that. Jesus has so much life ahead of you. And you'll find true freedom that you never found before, that you've never experienced. And it all starts with the love that God has for you and the love that he can show through you. I so much want that for you. And it's every week. That's why we're here. We want you to connect with God and find the love that Jesus has for you. And if you're here this morning and, and what I've been saying is resonating with you and you want to talk about it, there's some questions you've got. There are things that you maybe have kind of pushed aside that, it's day, that today's the day to deal with it. Let's just talk. If you have never yet said yes to Jesus, today is a great day to do that. I would invite you to stand with me now. We're going to worship, but I want to pray for you first. Would you just go ahead and stand with me? Father, we come before you and we know that... Um, Man, there are just so many things that we could do, but some of them we've tried and they've just enslaved us. And we're sorry for that. And we need your help to free us. And as people who are free and, and we know that love that you have for us, will you help us to live in it every day, to make wise choices, to do things that not only bring us closer to you, but bring others close as well. I pray today would just be a day of freedom for so many people, that people learn to think more deeply and wisely about you to just know how much goodness there is in your heart for anyone who will come to you. And Father, we just, as we sing now, we ask you to continue to help us move closer to you and give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.